keep up our end of the bargain, and we will continue to bring you the voices of the powerless and the progressives. During our last fund drive, we brought you live daily protests from East Bay streets, including real-time and studio analysis and discussions from the leaders of Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe movements. You've heard Professors John A. Powell, Michelle Alexander, and a previously unheard radical speech from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Interviews with Carlos Santana and Herbie Hancock. We put a lot of time and effort into amplifying our fun drive programming to demonstrate the depth of our pledge to you. In return, your boundless spirit and generosity has never failed us. We thank you for that and for your understanding that you have a vital part to play in this sacred pledge between us. Thank you. And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno. Online at kpfa.org. At times 3 p.m., stay tuned for Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. Picture drop the shadow out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, January the 13th, 2015. Have you seen the French people hitting the streets? Make the world safe for satire. That's my sign, my mantra. I'll make a big sign and carry it around (laughs) in Berkeley. That's a good idea. Uh, Today and every day, make the world safe for satire. Now, uh, I hear there is a rumor that there might even be a chance that this sort of thing can spread, grow into the sort of world wisdom that can combat this madness, the hideous fundamentalism that wants to create a new caliphate. Actually, there's another rumor. It says that there are some radical reform movements Inside Islam. Four o'clock in the morning, I heard a a good woman. Uh, she said that, you know, it wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough for intelligent Muslims to deplore violence. They had to get out and be active. The men and women in the mosques uh, begin to speak out and condemn the use of their faith <laughs> to commit bloody murder. Uh, it's the same as any devout Christian would do when Christianity is invoked to justify carnage. You remember that guy? What was his name? Oh, Timothy McVeigh. Right. 
169 people, I think it was. He got there and the, uh, never mind. It's so long ago, I'm sure everyone's forgotten. <laughs> I'm sure, yes, that the Christian martyrs, um, well, people who are in the business, they can tell you all about it. Uh, uh, history teaches us that, uh, Christianity has been used to crucify humanity ever since it came along about 2,000 years ago. Uh, actually, a few hundred years before Islam. Anyway, those crusades I read about, uh, they're still making the movies. I love it. Those crusades made Christ the mega military tyrant, you know. He sought to crush Islam. Almost managed it a few times. Uh, I was going to jabber about a movie called The Kingdom of Heaven, but it's actually so far off base, I think I'll skip it. I just, I guess I'm getting so old that I'll watch anything if it has beautiful costumes and uh, production values. Anyway, religious wars are truly, truly more than just a clash of civilizations. I think that's what uh, was it Tony Blair thought. He he really thinks that this is, uh, you know, a rollback. Uh, anyway, I think that religious wars have been more vindictive than the wars carried on, you know, just for resources, greed, lust, uh, all that uh, ordinary stuff, you know. Take your neighbor's uh, extra wheat and so forth, but... Uh, I think our time is a, a little different, not really different. Uh, I think that ideology uh, has surfaced in ways that some of us thought would never, could never happen again. Uh, we thought that human behavior had uh, kind of gone beyond the, uh, uh, I don't know what, to, what words to use to describe uh Human nature doesn't seem to change. The past isn't dead. It isn't even past. As some uh, writer once said, who was that Faulkner, right? Uh, barbarism is not dead. Torture is always useful. A handy method to manipulate whole populations. I remember once, years ago, someone telling me that uh, a rapist in the community can control all the women, most of the women in the community. They won't go out after dark, that sort of thing. Uh, it's just the presence of evil that changes things. Uh, I was just a dumb liberal. Still, I'm just a dumb rebel, I, rebel, liberal, I guess, the kind who thinks that slavery, well, chattel slavery, was ended, you know, no more chains. Uh, they've got better chains now. I guess economic slavery is a worldwide phenomenon, but I don't know, mechanized warfare uh, should have ended long time ago. It's an ecological disaster. You know, once we knew what those bombs could do, how they could destroy the future into the generations, I I kept thinking, well, 
technology will take the fun out of war, you know. Be over in half an hour, so oh, why bother? The fun was back in the day when, uh, you know, they had to use just swords and clubs. And then it was really, really a lot of fun. Uh, but even the madness that I see here finds a way. My favorite was a scene I saw, oh, golly, it was a couple of years ago, it was the uh, Americans in the tanks. They were roaring across the desert, and they used the music, the rock music, all the good music. That's what fuels their uh, <laughs> fury. Anyway, you know how it is now. Guerrilla warfare, the separate cells, sabotage, and, uh, you know, just slay certain targets of, uh, Especially the targets that, you know, make those of us who shudder, shudder when we see artists die. Uh, the fears of civilians, easy to manipulate. Uh, I think back in Rome, it was assumed that it was just the soldiers who were going to die, you know, and then their commander would go and, and sit down with the ruler of whatever state he was in and say, okay, now we are the boss of it. Tell your people what to do <laughs> nowadays. It's a little different. Also, it's impossible to figure out, at least for me, who is in charge. Apparently, nobody is in charge. Uh, I wanted to um, tell you about an article. Oh, here it is. I've got it right here. It's... It's for those of you who really want to understand all the details. Uh, it's called How the Islamic State Was Won, and you can find it in Harper's Magazine, the issue November 2014. It's even got maps, you know, of this Islamic State. It's got interviews with uh, the potential recruits. <laughs> Uncle Sam needs you. I remember I had a recruiting poster in my classroom once. It was a big guy, you know, um, with a hat on. Uh, Uncle Sam, that's who they called him. Uncle Sam needs you. Oh, that's recruits for us. Pardon me. Anyway, this also has interviews with the fighters and the people who uh, think they know who the enemy is. Uh, the article says... How did a terror organization considered too bloodthirsty even for Al-Qaeda morph into something more like a government with its own territory and with troops? <laughs> anyway, yes, I was looking at a clutch of women sitting on their luggage covered from head to toe in black. Oh, golly. Mm. Maybe next week. I can deconstruct this article. Uh, uh, the point is here that things being a little tough uh, to many impoverished Sunni Muslims who simply want to live, the Islamic State is not a bad bet. Okay. Uh, I don't know. The aim was to wipe out the regime's armed opponents, but the result was to destroy the country's social fabric. 
to displace whole communities, leaving millions of Syrians with little to lose. So, of course, the new Islamic State is, what is it, a big chunk of it is Syria. I'm trying to figure out, I can't, I can't really understand the map. There's a map on page 41. I'm looking here at this report. Written by James Harkin, H-A-R-K-I-N. Sure, you can find it on the net. And his article is titled, How the Islamic State Was Won. Apparently, it's a fait accompli. James Harkin is a London-based writer and recipient of, uh, let's see, a grant from. Anyway, he seems to be a responsible, a responsible journalist uh, <laughs> I don't know the map is the thing I have to study I guess I hadn't really realized that there is such a thing now as the Islamic State at least that's what they say I'm sure that's not what uh, the United States thinks there doesn't seem to be any uh, looking here no no there's no embassy we have no embassy let's see uh Iran's to the right of it. Turkey's on top of it. Jordan, Saudi Arabia, below it. Lebanon. They have marked it here, you know, the center of the Islamic State in dark red. And then, you know, it kind of gradually edges out into the other uh, the other areas. Oh, my God. That's too scary for me. I'm, I'm kind of weak uh, when I look at these things. I get the shakes because I realize that I do not understand the 21st century. Uh, I uh, <laughs> I thought feminism, you know, I thought feminism was the ultimate modernism and that it had reached all of the women of the world by now and that they would put a stop to some of this. Well, anyway, I thought most of the women knew that it was a bad idea to have all this violence, but this week I see women and girls doing the work of suicide bombers. Um, I'm sure everyone has heard about the 10-year-old girl, little, little girl with explosives strapped around her middle. Was she, uh, was she forced to do this? There's all kinds of opinions on the radio. Was she persuaded? Uh, I'm guessing. She was threatened, told that she would be safe in the arms of the prophet when the job was done. Maybe she even thought uh, she was serving her uh, her God. Uh, no, I think I think they must have told her that uh, her family would die. That kind of thing. Uh, uh, then I got angry listening to the reports of other women, adult women who had been suicide bombers recently, and I got so angry I couldn't help thinking the way women find new ways to be massacres, right? I knew they'd get in on this. At first I was comforted by the fact that it was uh, not a job for girls, but yes, none of that is fair. Both genders are obviously the victims of the... Uh, mean people in their tribe. What do we call that? Dominant submission paradigm I put down here, yes. Dominant submission paradigm.
Uh, usually it's some guy who's dragging some poor woman around and she does what he tells her to do. Of course, sometimes the roles are reversed. Mostly, though, it is the women who submit. But uh, we all know strength of will is certainly not limit, limited to one gender. And uh, I think if you study, if you study the past, certainly some of these so-called martyrs uh, back in the day, they believed that they were serving God. And even today, I'm sure they believe they are acting out of love, loyalty, at least out of loyalty to their families, their communities. The Christian saints certainly looked to heaven. I read the lives of the saints when I was a schoolgirl. Looked kind of, kind of exciting, you know. I assume they thought that their suffering would be rewarded. It was a kind of a turn-on, I guess. Uh, actually, I do distinguish between those who are willing to die <laughs> from those who are willing to kill for their cause, their God. I used to ask my students, we were talking about the uh, black revolution in America, and almost of my uh, passionate students were perfectly willing to die, they said, but I could only find one or two dudes, guys, who said that they would be willing to kill to make the world safe for uh, people of color. I, uh, I think when Malcolm X was killed, some of them changed their minds, but it was an interesting, an interesting period, uh, interesting the days when kids actually thought uh, the revolution was coming. It's so curious. I saw a movie not long ago. It made me uh, think, gosh, a movie that makes you think, made me think about uh, religious conviction. Footnote here. Uh, I wanted to tell you about the movie Apostle. My favorite movie about uh, the psychosis of the, uh, let's call it the all-American con man preacher, yes. Uh, he definitely believes, believes Robert Duvall plays a, uh, a preacher in Apostle. It's a knockout movie. I, I must find my review of that and bring it in because it's all about the psychological set of these people who use the uh, supernatural, but to use God to... Uh, promote their own agendas. We all know about that. Uh, I think uh, the movie that I was going to talk about, let's see, here it is. I I made a note. It says, Joan of Arc. You remember Joan of Arc? Uh, the movie is called The Messenger. And uh, I I was kind of confused. I, I remember George Bernard Shaw tried to put a new spin on Joan of Arc, but he still, of course, thought of her as a, uh, oh, a poet, uh, at least a, uh, a conquering hero. Anyway, in The Messenger, we get this uh, new spin 
the character of the messenger is uh, played by Dustin Hoffman. He is Joan's conscience, I guess. He's kind of her confessor. He's a presence. He's not seen by the other people, so I guess he's supernatural, if if that matters. Uh, I found the role to be profound. Dustin Hoffman is becoming a real prophet in his old age. Uh, he gave this everything he's got. Uh, he questions Jones' motives, her visions, her nationalism, her military solutions. You know, she thought that it was a problem that the English uh, were trying to conquer all of France. And uh, the two of them, Joan of Arc and this messenger, uh, this maybe archangel, they wrestle, wrestle with the angel, right? They wrestle there in the dark of her cell. And she struggles to justify her choices. Uh, she she doesn't want to confess to murder. She says she can't remember actually killing an individual, that kind of thing. And he points out that it is impossible for her not to have done so, considering the mayhem that she was involved in. Anyway, uh, she just kind of says, well, it's war, you know. I think we've heard that one. Uh, she finally admits that uh, her her visions, for example, those voices she heard and all the supernatural phenomenon she experienced, especially as a child, that could have been her own projections, dreams, desires, uh, could even have been vengeance for the rape and murder of her sister. The English soldiers attacked her village and her sister hid her in a cupboard. Uh, I don't know if any of that is true, but her sister tried to protect her. Now, the Middle Ages was certainly a time when institutions, you know, institutions like the Inquisition could uh, persuade people, lead people uh, to believe that uh, <laughs> what their other wiser selves knew was in error, so why wouldn't Joan believe the visions that came to her, even if they were from her own heart, mind? She was very, very young, remember. Uh, a mere girl. Anyway, this messenger in the movie is a fool for truth. Once again, the movie is the messenger, and the role of the, uh, I want to call him the Inquisitor, but <laughs> that isn't the right, the right title for this, uh, uh, let's call it messenger from the gods, from the, uh, what is it, the, the spark, the inner, inner glow. Anyway, the truth, yes, Gandhi, Gandhi said that the truth is God, so I think I can settle for that. The messenger represents truth. With his help, uh, Joan of Arc is finally able to confess her real errors, not the ones that will send her to the fire. That's political stuff, you know. She has to burn at the stake. Now, this movie was not popular, I'm telling you. It was too unheroic. 
Uh, I even met a couple of people who thought it was dumb stuff. For me, it is a psychiatric poem. Know thyself. You know how hard it is to think, and it's absolute agony to think twice. Examine your real motives, the motive behind your motives. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we could psychoanalyze the world? Teach the young, you know, the ultimate education to know yourself and why you behave the way you do. My favorite definition of education used to be the willful acquisition of vulnerability. I think I like that one because it meant that you had to be open to all, all the thoughts and ideas and, what is it, to everything. You had to be able to look for the truth even in the darkest, darkest places. Uh, but I'm afraid most people are not hungry for a reality sandwich. That's, that's not the sort of thing. Uh, personally, these days I'd settle for the capacity to just walk in somebody else's moccasins, you know, practice empathy. Uh, I, of course, reject religious beliefs, uh, the conventional religious beliefs, but I can certainly imagine the loneliness, the fear of individuality that controls behavior, fear of loss, the emotional wasteland that threatens those who, whose families and friends and communities reject them. Hmm. Remember somebody saying, if they ask you why we died, tell them this. Our fathers lied. It's Kipling. I think it's Kipling, yes. If they ask you why we died, tell them this. Our fathers lied. <laughs> Promised to 72 virgins, something like that. But a child, a vulnerable child, will buy the lies. That's the problem with the vulnerability arguments. Yes, I, I think people should be vulnerable to every new idea. At the same time, we have to protect the young from the demonic ideas that uh, soak the soul's of society. What did I say? My goodness. Anyway, you know how it is. If you resist things as they are, what your community does, you will lose your uh, father's love and approval. I remember one of Ben Laden's son, sons, finally, he split. <laughs> he left and he said some unkind things about his father's choices. And he did it publicly. Now, uh, that, uh, I call that heroic. Now, uh, once again, I wanted to tell you, if you want to examine this stuff, the article I was uh, quoting is in the November issue of Harper's, written by James Harkin, and it's called, How the Islamic State Was Won. And I guess the article is telling us that these madmen have become a state. 
How do you define a nation state? How do you defend a nation state? The interviews with the potential recruits are the ones that make my blood run cold. I have to get off the air and I don't have time to talk about Anita Ekberg and Louise Rainier and that new movie, Interview. It's a fabulous movie. It's perfectly silly. But they let the, they let Kim, the, the leader, he, he says, he says, at least you people should know that uh, you incarcerate more people per capita than we do here in North Korea. So they gave him, they gave him a, a, a few lines. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air next week at this same time. Until then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. inspiration? You're invited to the Western Workers Labor Heritage Festival January 16th through 18th in Burlingame, California, a celebration of the culture of working women and men. It commemorates Dr. Martin Luther King and the struggle for social and economic justice. The festival offers workshops, films, graphic arts, spoken word, and lots of music, and a concert at 7 p.m. on January 18th. This KPFA-sponsored event is wheelchair-accessible and benefits the Western Workers Labor Heritage Festival. For more information, go to westernworkersfestival.org. And you're listening to KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1.